Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Booker Life Group Podcast. We meet Sunday mornings at 11 at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. This episode is the first of a series on 1 John. Today, we'll hear from Richard Booker as we dive deep into chapter one. So let's open, let's open in a word of prayer, and then we will uh, dive into uh, the book of 1 John. Father, thank you uh, for this opportunity to be able to launch this class. Father, I pray that uh, over the coming months and years, God, that you would use us to just really change our city. Change our cities by changing our own lives first. I would pray that, you know, when your word goes out, you tell us that your word doesn't return void, Father. I pray that you would just uh, use the text, use the words that you left to us to just uh, manifest themselves within us. Help us to see truth and light. Father, help us to truly have fellowship with you. God, open our hearts and fill us with your spirit today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look in uh, the book of 1 John. Uh, We're going to take six weeks to do this. uh, And the 22nd or 23rd, uh, we will have a church-wide marriage uh, kind of retreat uh, here at the church and so on Sunday morning there will be a marriage speaker here and they'll meet, we'll meet over there in the fellowship hall so uh, we'll meet three weeks have that break and then we'll come back we know probably a few people will be gone uh, during Memorial Day but we'll, we'll continue to move on during Memorial Day and then finish First John uh, the first weekend in, in uh, June so as we look here in First John what, what I want to do is we're just going to go through the first chapter this morning I want us to read the first chapter and then we're going to go back and we're going to uh, just begin to tear it apart and to see all the little things and all that are within this chapter so um, just as a as a start out with a question of what if we're looking at this with the intention of understanding of what does it mean to be a follower of God or what does it mean to be a disciple of God, uh, I guess that's a question I'll ask you. Before we even begin to read this, and many of us in here have been in church a long time, so we'll, ha- we'll have some uh, uh, good valid answers. So what does it mean to be a follower of God? Follow what it says to do. Follow what uh, God's Word says to do. Yeah, okay. Use him and his word as your pathway for life to yeah. base your decisions on sure. his commands. Sure. Yeah. Usually, if you say you follow somebody, you're you're reading what they say. You're yeah. Doing, you know, watching what they do. Yeah. Reading their books. They wrote books. Yeah. All right. So, what we have here in in John, uh, Johannian literature. Uh, which is, you know, John the Apostle is the author attributed to the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, there's a couple other books he wrote. One we know is the Gospel of John. The other one is what? Revelation. 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 He wrote that on the Isle of Patmos uh, right before his death. So he, there's several pieces of liter- literature that are written by John, and they're all very similar. Uh, he focuses really on 
what does it mean to have eternal life? And he's, re- and he's very particular, and he, he comes right out and says, this is why I'm writing. And we'll look at this in, in 1 John. But in this book, he's writing, uh, in, if we look at 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 13, so I'm, I'm skipping ahead, he says, these things I've written to you so that you may believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So in, in the book of John, if we look in uh, John chapter 20 or 21, he says that he's writing it so that you may have eternal life. And then here in 1 John, he's writing it so that you might know that you have eternal life. So this is one thing. If, I, and I, if you only have just a few weeks to disciple somebody, let's, let's just say some God's laid on your heart an individual at work or an individual uh, that you've been seeing at church. You know, did you see a church and, you know, I feel like I just need to spend some time with them. One place that I, I, I say is just a great place to start is First John. So that you can go through the, what is, can they, you know that you're a believer in Christ? There's, unfortunately, today, there's so many people uh, that, you know, they get saved at a young age and then they go back, they, you know, they grow older and they go, I don't know if I'm saved or not. And then they go through this crisis moment of, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know if I'm saved. Well, let's read the book of 1 John. If you live your life like this, you can know that you're saved. Alright, so uh, when we look here in, in 1 John, I guess a little bit of background is that why would John want to write this? Well, the location, even though we don't know the exact recipients of this letter, we do know some of the religion that was going on at the time. Uh, so if, in 1 John 2, 18 through 26, we, would read, we will read about how there's antichrist. Not the antichrist, but there are antichrists. Just like we have antichrists today, people that are against Christ. You had that in that time too. Uh, and so I wrote down on, in my notes a, a few of the religions that were there at the time. Uh, so Gnosticism, which believed that uh, salvation was through enlightenment. That was a huge religion that was going on at that time. Uh, Docetism, which is the belief that Jesus didn't have a real human body. It only appeared to be physical. Uh, uh, there was also the heresy of Serenthus, which was a strong opposition to the Apostle John and taught that Jesus was only a man and that the divine Christ descended on Jesus at his baptism and left him before the crucifixion. So there was a few, the, there were these religions that kind of accepted the Messiah a little bit, but they really, it, it was complete heresy. Uh, and so he wanted people to know when he wrote this letter that you can know that you are, are saved and have eternal life. So uh, let's read. Here in the first four verses is the prologue of 1 John. Um, would somebody read verses 1 through 4? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and which was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. All right. So this is the prologue uh, to First John. What are a couple of things that uh, might stick out? There's a couple of words, at least to me, that really stick out. But what are some things that stick out to you? Like it's a first-hand account of okay, a first-hand account with Christ. Yeah, why? Why do you say that? 
Uh, things that repeat. You see any words that repeat? Proclaim. Proclaim. Seen. Seen or witness. Seen or witness. There's a couple other things in there. In my version has fellowship Heard. a few times. Okay, fellowship. That's a big one. Heard is also in there. Heard. And then there's a four-letter word. With? No. <laughs> With. <laughs> life. How about life? Um, so we have, uh, there's a bunch of things. Whenever you're reading scripture, if you see things repeated, begin to read that section and just start circling or highlight the words that you see over and over and over and over. Um, because that means they're important to this particular aspect. So we have things that have been proclaimed, they've been heard, and what are those things that have been proclaimed and heard? Life and fellowship. So these are, these are real important things uh, to our text. Now, if we start from the very beginning of this, he says, what was from the beginning? And then he talks about uh, concerning the word of life. Uh, this whole section parallels John chapter 1. Anybody know what John chapter 1 says, just offhand? In the beginning was the word. Same as in the beginning, my God, all things were made by him, without him was not anything made that was made. Yeah. That's yeah. So, in the beginning, he talks about in the beginning. So, John chapter 1 says, in the beginning, in the very beginning, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us later in, the, later in John chapter 1 is what it says. And this one, he says, what was from the beginning? Now, we might think, ah, this is John. He's talking about it at the very beginning. But it's clarified. It's not necessarily at the very beginning. It's at the beginning of when the gospel message came. What we have heard and what we have seen and what we have looked at and what we have touched. So from, from an educator's standpoint, man, I, I think of not only, this is differentiated instruction at the best. You know, like it's not, we didn't just, you didn't, they didn't just throw up a PowerPoint and make you see it. They didn't just make you read it. Like God, God sent his only son in the flesh of man, and he says, allowed us to be able to hear him, be able to see him, be able to uh, touch him. I mean, good grief, I mean, he was there. We think about God wanting um, relationship with us as human beings. I mean, there's nothing greater that he could have done than to do the great hesed. Hesed is mercy in, in Scripture. But what that really means is taking on the skin of taking on the skin of, taking on the flesh. So if, if I have mercy on somebody that's in the hospital, I would have to truly put myself in their situation to understand what they're going through. That's what hesed means. Well, God, in His, uh, in his desire to have a relationship with us, He put Himself in literally in the skin of man to understand the things that we go through on a daily and weekly basis to truly understand what it means to be tempted by sin. But yet he 
never sinned, uh, and to truly understand what it means to be human. That's how God could be, or Christ could be, fully man and fully God. All right, so, and what we see here is he goes concerning the word of life. So all these things that they've been touched, he's been seen, heard, and touched, and concerning the word of life. Now, in my, I have New American Standard, and word in mind is capitalized. But it's not the same word as you would see in the book of John where the word became flesh. So Jesus Christ is the word. We recognize that. It's not the same word. The emphasis here in this passage is not word, and so word shouldn't be capitalized. It's the, the word life. So when you see the word life here concerning the word of life, What other things, when you hear the word life, what do you think of? Uh, What biblical understanding is formed when you think of the word life? Any place in particular? I mean, there's it's all throughout Scripture. So, any place in particular? Well, that that's one place. So what, what is that of? Life of what? I mean, why, why the tree of life? Tree of life is an interesting study. Tree of life is only present three places in Scripture. It's present in Genesis, where you eat from the tree of life, and humans had eternal life. It's mentioned in uh, Proverbs, where we as believers are meant to be the tree of life, which means we are to bear fruit that allows others to have eternal life. And then you have in Revelation, the tree of life returns again. And it is when God creates the kanos, the brand new, the made from everything new, the new heaven and earth, when he creates the new heaven and earth, he then reinstitutes um, the tree of life again. So there is an understanding of life in that aspect, of eternal life. But we also understand, he says, who is he talking about here? Who, who has we seen and heard? He's talking about Jesus Christ himself. So instead, of, in, in the book of John, Jesus is the Word that became flesh. And here, in the book of 1 John, Jesus is the life. Why the difference from the book of John, the very beginning of the book of John, the, the Gospel of John, to the beginning of the letter, 1 John? Why would John reference Jesus as the Word? In John, but life in First John. Well, he did. Yeah, that's a part of it. Uh, I don't know when these were written exactly, but it may have been he grew in his relationship and saw him as different from where he started to where. Oh, absolutely. When you look at when you look at the Gospels, now the John is not one of the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have tell the same story. They just tell it from a different viewpoint. John is not one of the synoptic gospels because it tells more of the actual life of Christ. Um, And so what you see is the gospels were written in such a way that at the beginning of them, Jesus came. And they're written in a way, even though they were written after the fact, they were written that they were revealing Jesus Christ from the beginning all the way to his death. And it it was not until Christ died and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven that the followers of Jesus went, he really is the Messiah. 
Like, there was always until the very end they were going, I don't, you know, there was still that thought in the back of their head, like, this may not be true. That's also why you have Doubting Thomas. You know, he goes, well, I'm not believing until I stick my hands in the side, you know. So you have uh, this manifestation of the Word becoming flesh in John to where at the, when, when Jesus ascends into heaven, John is going, he truly is the life. Not only is he the Word, but he truly is the life. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> Alright, so that's why here he talk, the, the emphasis is on life. And so what happens is, and he explains this in verse 2, where he says the life was manifested. What does that mean? It means it was revealed openly. Became The life of Jesus Christ was revealed openly. He didn't hide it. He came to earth. He died. But then he rose from the grave. And he didn't just rise from the grave and go to the disciples and go, Hey guys, I'm alive. I'm out of here. I'm going, I've gone to prepare that place for you. Like he revealed himself to thousands. They, they don't tell a whole lot about it within Scripture. But if you look at the very end of the Gospels and you look at the very beginning of Acts, you see where he's revealed himself to not just a few people, but many, 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 many people. So it was revealed openly, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So what he's saying is that the word of life, Jesus Christ, was revealed openly to us so that each and every one of us can have eternal life. So this is important when you have, especially when you look at things in their historical context, you have all of these false religions telling them that Jesus didn't really come and do what he said he did. And, he, and John is saying, no, Jesus didn't hide anything. He really did come and reveal himself to be the way, the truth, and what? The life. That's in John 14, 6. He really did come and reveal himself. And he revealed himself openly to us. All right, so uh, in verses 3 and 4, what we find is that uh, we find this word fellowship. Uh, when you hear the term fellowship, what, what are some definitions that you have of fellowship? All of Baptist fellowship means you're eating, right? Okay, so we're eating. They're <laughs> synonymous with one another, yes. <laughs> when you hear fellowship, what does that mean? It's a strong communion of like-minded people with shared goals and beliefs. Yeah. They're bound by the same creed. So yeah. They understand each other. Why would that be important? Why would that? Why would all that be an important aspect of fellowship? Well, I think you're more likely to get along or promote your cause if you are on the same page and agree with the same. And certainly, if you're trying to attract more towards your group, if you can present a unified body, it has more power and more appeal to people who may be searching. Yeah. Anybody else want to add anything? I think fellowship is also good for like-minded people just for support. Oh, yeah. To gain encouragement and to continue on the right path. Yeah. 
All right, so let, let's look at verses 3 and 4, um, because this is important. This is an important aspect of, uh, of eternal life. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put it like, he says, God revealed himself so that you have eternal life, and then so that you might have fellowship. So this is, this is unique. We don't normally put, necessarily put those two together, but, but John does here. He says, what you have seen and heard, uh, so what was revealed openly, what you've seen and heard, and we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us, so fellowship with other believers, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So, when I think of fellowship, the actual term here is koinonia. Anybody ever heard the term koinonia before? I mean, a lot of people have heard the term koinonia before. Koinonia means common life uh, or community. The same term can be found in 1 Corinthians 1.9 or Acts 2.42. Acts 2 is a, is a great place of looking at common life together. So in Acts chapter 2, uh, you have the believers coming together as a as an ecclesia, which is as a church, uh, and they are having fellowship with one another. So they're eating together. Ah, good. They're eating together. They're reading the word. They're teaching one another, and they're praying together. If we if we were to go back into a study of Acts chapter two, that's what they were doing as believers. Now they obviously didn't go meet in a church like this. They went to other believers' homes. But what they did was they got together and they taught, prayed, ate. And most of the time, they also, when it says they broke bread together, uh, they were doing the Lord's Supper together as a remembrance of what Christ had just done for them. So, when we look here, and he says that you might have fellowship with the, not only with other believers, but you would have fellowship with God Himself. What we find here is that fellowship is not only horizontal with other believers, but it's also vertical with, with God Himself. So, I guess the question is, uh, when, we, when we look at fellowship, why is that important? I think we have to go all the way back to uh, God himself, Elohim, in the Old Testament, where he says, you know, we're going to create man in our image. I mean, God was never alone. God was always three persons. You know, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, he is, he is a being of relationship, a being of fellowship, and he also wants us to experience that Fellowship, which is why marriage in and of itself, too, is a picture of what it means to be in relationship with the Father, or at least it's supposed to be. Does that help? So to have eternal life, one of the most basic things of having eternal life is being in fellowship with God Himself. Now, what we find here is, in the, in the following verses 5 through 10, and we're going to read these, is, what keeps you from having fellowship? So let's read. Will somebody read verses 5 through 10? It's also an association, too. Sure. You're, you're not just fellowship in the sense that communion with, talking to, but it's you're also associating yourself with either other believers or God. Absolutely. You know, I am. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody read verses 5 through 10. This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light, there is no darkness in him at all, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. 
But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Wow. Just makes me want to start uh, playing some DC talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> DC time. <laughs> All right, so uh, here in this passage, what, so we'll kind of do what we did with the first section. What are some of the things that stick out? I think one would be being honest with yourself, assessing yourself about how you're actually walking. Yeah. I think it's very easy to think we're doing good and you know, we go to church and I tithe and I'm really on a good thing. But maybe at home I don't pick up the Bible until I come back to church. Yeah. I'm not really living for God. Yeah. And it's just a facade. For... Yeah, he's giving an assessment here too. He's like, you know, look at yourself. This is some of the things you can use to assess yourself. God's light. He's not darkness. So if you're in darkness, you're probably not going to lie with him. Yeah. You know, little things like that. Yeah. All right, so in the prologue, he talks about the things that we've seen and heard and touched. Here he talks about we, what we have heard. So, he, so he's thinking about continuing to think in this realm of uh, personal application. So things that, things that he had heard. And when I think of this section, several things stick out that were mentioned. One is uh, of not being in sin. And the other one is being light. So other places, you know, I guess if you wanted to make notes and go, well, how does this fit in? When we read Scripture, we're not looking at Scripture just from an aspect of, hey, this is in and of and by itself. We have to look at it in what's called the meta narrative of Scripture. So where does it fit into the overall picture of Scripture? Okay, so this particular passage, places that I would say go look up. Go look up Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That is the Sermon on the Mount. Within that passage, it talks about judge not lest you be judged. You know, one of those passages that's very highly misused outside of the church. But later in that, he says, judge not lest you be judged. And, you know, pull the plank out of your own eye before you, uh, you know, point out the speck in somebody else's. So... What, he's, what John is saying here, and that was Matthew talking, you, what you see is you go, wow, they, they heard the same message and they kind of got a, they got something very similar out of it. And he's saying that you're not a part of, you know, if you're sinning, then you're not necessarily, that's not, that's living in darkness, that's not living in the light. And you need to, uh, you know, judge yourself based on your own actions, not other people's actions. Um, another thing is, is God is light. He talks several things. He says in verse 7, if we walk in light as he himself is in light. If we were to look in Ephesians chapter 5, and so let's, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. Uh, this is Paul. So Paul wrote most of the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5, um, and uh, as a small group, we've read this before, but let's, uh, let's read it again. He says, Therefore be imitators of God 
as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us in an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, uh, or kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Here we go. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. And for this reason it says, Awake sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I mean, it's very similar language. And what we find throughout Scripture is that, and, as a, and it's a part of the reason why you, we have the Bible set up can, canon, which is the books that are in our Bible, and how it was set up in the early centuries, is that they have the same message. When you look throughout Scripture, they don't uh, contradict themselves. So in this particular passage, you have that G, John is saying, God is light. And we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So what he's saying is, so how does, how does that relationship with fellowship mean? Let me, let me rephrase the question. Excuse me. So when, when we say we have fellowship with Jesus and we look at this term fellowship, how is, that, um, how is our fellowship manifested um, Question is not coming out right, so let me just uh, explain what I want to say. Uh, so when we have sin in our own life and we're claiming that we have sin, we can't truly have fellowship with with God Himself. So when we are, and I guess an explanation of this would be when we are truly in sin and you feel like you're totally alone because you're continuing to sin and you sin and you sin and you sin and you're never taking the opportunity to ask for forgiveness for that sin. The reason why, why we might feel totally alone is because God is saying, I can't be a part of that, and he has separated himself from us. That's why when you also begin to sin, you see relationships with other people also, with physical people that are around you, those things also begin to break apart, and you become lonely and, and set aside all by yourself. Because you can't have true fellowship with other believers, nor can you have true fellowship with God himself if there is active sin, unrepent, active unrepentant, let me clarify that, active unrepentant sin in our own lives. Does that make sense? And so what John is saying is that we want to be sure that we don't say that we have no sin. Because apparently what was happening is they were saying, we are, you know, we have no sin. And in reality, I guess, and it's not that foreign of a, of an idea. When I was, I, I was a campus minister uh, for the Baptist campus ministry at NC State for a couple of years. And uh, I had one student, he grew up uh, a different denomination, um, but what he asked me was he had always been taught that when you got saved, you would, you're sinless. 
And so he, obviously he wasn't saved because he was still sinning. And so we had to have this discussion. And we actually we went through the book of 1 John. We also went through, a, I went through a study with him through the life of Paul and how Paul continued to say, you know, I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things I know that I should do. But Paul wrote most of the New Testament, so was Paul saved? You know, I mean, we had to have these kind of frank discussions. And here in 1 John he says, you know, 1 John 3, if you misunderstand what that's saying, you could come to that conclusion. Yeah. So I, we have to understand that, uh, and I have things written, you know, Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. Uh, and we're all going to continue to struggle. And my understanding of Scripture is that if you, if you are sinning and you are repentant, and, you, and you've constantly feel that battle and wage within, you know, to, to sin, and then you're, you're, fighting, you know, you're fighting sin and you're asking for repentance of sin, means you're alive, <laughs> you know, and you're not, you're not, you know, just dead. I mean, you have an active faith because if you are separated from God and you're no longer in fellowship with God, Satan has no reason to attack you because you're right where he wants you. So, All right, so in this final section, John lays out some basic principles. Um, my study in the past goes into, it, it stretches between uh, John 1 and in, into John 2. Uh, John 1 being a part of basic principles of fellowship, and then uh, John 2 being basic principles of knowing God. But John's going to teach next week, so I'll let him do, <laughs> you know, deal with John chapter 2. But uh, here in John chapter 1, we have some basic uh characteristics of fellowship. And so what we find is, and I wrote these down, that we must walk in light and truth. We must confess our sins and be cleansed from unrighteousness. Um, And so John's point here is that as Christians, we have to live where God is. We have to, the, the, uh, God has already said, come to me. He's, he said, come to me, my arms are open. We have to take this opportunity to say, God, I want to be, I want to have fellowship with you. So the onus is on us to make that decision and make the decisions within our own life. This is, this is the same thing of uh, uh, sovereignty versus free will. God is sovereign and knows everything that's going to take place. And God is saying, I'm offering salvation and eternal life to every single person uh, that, I, that has ever been created. But the free will standpoint is, will I, will I step forward into that, those open arms and continue to have fellowship with Him? And so what it says here, and this is where I want us to end here with, is in verse 9 it says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we read that, I just go, I am so unworthy. When we look in Scripture, I mean, Scripture is so true when He says that our own righteousness is as dirty, filthy rags. Just disgusting. And as as human beings, God still chose to send Himself, you know, send His Son down in the skin of man To understand us, so that we, so that He could reveal Himself more openly to us, 
And then we, you know, I have nothing, you know. And then he, he died on a cross. Not only died on the cross, I mean, he was just brutally beat beyond measure. I mean, so being as a, a fully man, I mean, he felt all that pain. And then it was even, what was even worse than that, he felt all the sin of man, the sin of man that was, is, and will ever be. And yet he's still saying that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And one of the things that stick the, the word faithful there just really sticks out to me. Because when I think of this, how unfaithful am I? I mean, just think to yourself. Just, we, don't have to, we don't have to share. I mean, that's the rhetorical thing. of Just how unfaithful are we when it comes to uh, our relationship with God? I mean, that's basically the whole reasoning of the prophets in the Old Testament. When you, if you were to go read the prophets of the Old Testament, even, even when God took, if you go back to Exodus where they leave Israel or leave, leave Egypt on their way to the promised land and God is still giving them manna, these people were the ones that actually got brought out and Moses goes up on a mountain before he even comes back down, what are they doing? They've got, they've built, they've got, a, they've got a golden calf that they're worshiping. And then you have the old, all this Old Testament where they continue to run away from God. And God goes, we, we think of the Old Testament as, you know, God is this, like, just conqueror that, like, kills everybody. When in reality, he's very, a very faithful God that continues to go, no, I want my people. And he goes and gets them out of bondage. They run away. I'm going to go get them. Bring them out of bondage. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, and he is, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Something that we do not deserve. God shows mercy on us because what we deserve is Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. But if we choose to ask forgiveness and to continue to strive to live as children of light. He'll cleanse us and we'll still have eternal life. And that's something, if we read in Scripture, that's something that can never be taken away from you if you have a true salvation uh, uh, repentance and change. And that's what restores that fellowship you know, with your other fellow believers. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I want to pray for us and then we'll spend a little time chatting. God, we, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. God, that you have, uh, you took on the flesh of man and your son Jesus Christ to uh, openly manifest your, uh, your desire to love us and for us to come to you and Father, that you are so faithful to us when we are so unfaithful. God, we thank you for um, just revealing to us what it means to have fellowship with you and your Son. Father, may we be um, equipped for the day. May we be equipped for the week. May we be equipped for the year to come. And Father, may we raise our families in fellowship 
with you. God, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Booker Life Group podcast. I hope you really enjoyed that deep dive in 1 John like I did. Next week, we're going to be getting into chapter 2. It's going to be taught by John Green. So we'll see you then.